Good morning. I invite you to uh, open up your Bibles to Philippians 3, and uh, we will get there shortly. Um, but you, if you go ahead and turn there, um, that would be great. And I'm going to do, I guess, what pastors end up doing. You read Scripture, and then you think about your life. And so I hope, I hope you don't get tired of hearing um, about some of the same things. So I, as most of you know, I took a pottery class. Um, I don't know, it's been a year or two ago. And I thoroughly enjoyed taking the pottery class. For some reason, it just connected with me. I found it very relaxing. But my goal going into this class, I just wanted to be able to make a coffee mug that I enjoyed using. And I thought, like, how hard can it be to make a mug? And I signed up for an eight-week class. And I was very disappointed. At the end of eight weeks, I was not making a coffee mug. So I signed up for another eight weeks. And thank the Lord, at the end of 16 weeks, I do have mugs that I enjoy using. But one of the things that happened in this class is we would, you'd gather around and there would be, I don't know, 10, 12 people sitting in a kind of a U-shape and the instructor would sit down and she would just kind of talk about this, that, and the other thing and she would show us the project for the day. And she's there talking away, making this look all easy and it's like, you know, this step and that step and, you know, out comes this big picture and it looks awesome. Well, I had to, it was very helpful to sit there and watch her but I actually got to the point to start with, I was so overwhelmed, I actually carried a notebook there and I would literally like watch her and write down step by step what to do. Um, so that was, that's one thing I want you to think about uh, when it comes to life and standing against false teaching and all that's thrown at us, who do you watch to see how to do things? The other thing about pottery is you start with a lump of clay and the, the goal is you have to bring it up and uh, then you make it into what you want it to be. And so you're working against two things. First of all, gravity is pulling it down. So it's hard to get it up. Plus it's on a spinning wheel. And so it wants to go out. And so I found myself, you know, I would start and I would have visions of my coffee mug, this nice cylinder rising up. And you know what happens on a spinning wheel? The walls just go out. And I got to the point where I, would kept, I kept bringing home bowls because honestly, that, that's all I could make. I would start out with visions of something else. And in the end, it just, the walls go out. And Nicole got to the point, she's like, we do not need any more bowls in our cupboard. Um, and, and so then eventually, you know, I got to the point where I could keep it straight, but not very high. Like this is kind of the first steps at keeping it straight. So if anybody needs a little salsa bowls, I can hook you up. But anyway, there, the pool of, just the pool of the spin is for things to go out instead of up. And so our passage today also deals with that of, of just the pool of our flesh and, and the world around us is to go out instead of up. And so what is it that, that makes us go straight up instead of ending out, um, ending out much wider than we intend or turning into a bowl instead of a cup. But so anyway, um, if you could think about that while we look at Philippians 3, who do you watch as an example? And what does God want to have us go to grow straight and up instead of uh, out? All right, um, let's read Philippians 3 uh, together. And I am going to, um, I'm going to start in verse 2, and I'm going to read through chapter 4, verse 1. Um, and I just want to point out a couple of things. The reason we're doing that is because of the way um, the paragraphs are written in the text. Um, so verses 2 through 6 is one paragraph. 
Verses 7 through 11 is a paragraph, 12 through 16 is a paragraph, and verse 17 through chapter 4, verse 1 is a paragraph. Um, and so we're going to look at those four paragraphs. Philippians 3, verse 2. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is, even a he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So these are, like I had mentioned, um, if you look at the paragraphs, these are four paragraphs um, in a row. And I want us to think in terms of the first verse I read, where there are these warnings, beware, beware, beware. And the last verse I read, it says, in this way stand firm. And so as we look at these four paragraphs, I'm basically going to lift out one word um, that I think is the theme of that paragraph and just ask you to consider when it comes to standing firm uh, in the Lord, um, where are we at with, with each one of those things. And so there will be four characteristics of standing firm, and I would ask you just to spend time on one. We could settle down and spend all Sunday in any of these, any, any one of the paragraphs. Um, but just consider the words and, um, and I guess, allow God to speak to you on, on at least one of the, of the four that we look at. 
So I want to just uh, go back to the top of this um, and look at what he's saying. So there's, there's three warnings, or beware and look out. And we don't know for sure who he's talking about, but likely it's the Judaizers who taught that um, in addition to believing in Jesus, that you had to be circumcised and obey all of the Old Testament laws. Uh, made me think of what Marvin shared in reading through Leviticus. So they, they thought that, yes, believe in Jesus, but you have to do this to be saved. And God comes with very, very strong language. He says, look out for the dogs. And it's kind of an irony because they, the Jews would have called Gentiles that. And so God comes along and says, people that are, are changing the terms of salvation, watch out for the dogs. They're outside of God's chosen people. Look out for the evildoers, even though they may have seemed like they were concerned about doing right. Look out for them and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So obviously a different, um, we deal with different things in our culture, but circumcision was the thing here because it, had, it was a symbol of, of uh, being a part of God's chosen people. And I find it interesting, uh, Paul would not even use the term for circumcision in verse 2. He just described it as mutilating the flesh. So he says, look out for them. And then he says, but the people who are really um, part of God's people, and he lists three characteristics of, of the true church or the, the true believers. And again, we could spend all Sunday here. I won't. Um, but this is what God says are the true characteristics of followers of him. Worshiping by the Spirit of God. So our worship is very important, that we are worshiping in the power and led by the Spirit of God, that our glory or confidence is in Christ Jesus, and that we have no confidence in the flesh. So these are the characteristics of what it looks like to truly follow God. And I just I want us to think about that in, in terms of for our church, too. Do these three characteristics, are these things um, what, what is important to us? So the warning is, you know, beware of this, beware of the dogs, but this is what a true Christian looks like, and then he's going to give us four things that helps us stand, stand firm. Before we um, go further, I just want to talk a little bit about the word confidence. Um, I found this very interesting. It, it has the idea of if you were going to go to court and make a case to try to prove something, what is it that you would point back to? And so that is, that's, that's our confidence because that's really what, we, what we're putting um, our trust in. So, um, so keep that in mind as we go forward. So if, if you're trying to make a case for something, what, what is it you point to? Okay, so um, four characteristics um, that we need or four areas to look at to stand firm, um, to stand firm in the Lord. So the first thing that Paul does, um, he, he expands on the thing of putting no confidence in the flesh. And it's almost like he tells you know, the people who are teaching this, you know what, like, bring it on. Let's, just, let's, um, let's look at this list and compare it. And so his list to us, again, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's not what we would point to, um, but we do have the things that we would go back to. And I'll just run through this very quickly. So he says, look, I've been circumcised on the eighth day, exactly like the law said. I was born into the right people group. My tribe is Benjamin. He was probably named after King Saul uh, from the same tribe. A Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, my, my dad's a Hebrew, my mom's a Hebrew. And it, it might even mean the thing of, I talk the right language. Um, because he was from an area that would have spoken Greek, but he knew Hebrew and Aramaic. 
And when he did that, the Jews were very impressed. So he says, look at all of that that I have going for me. And then when if you want to talk about the law, I'm a Pharisee. And the Pharisees wanted to keep every law, and they were so scared about keeping the law that they built, they built laws behind the law to keep people from even getting close to the law. And he says, look, I did all of that, and I persecuted the church. He went hundreds of miles to round up people and bring them back that he thought were wrong. And you know, when it comes to the law, he's, he says he's basically blameless. So if you look at this list, it's kind of interesting. The first three or four things he mentioned, he had nothing to do with. You know, he's circumcised the eighth day. It's a matter of where he's born. But the last part are all things that he's done. And how often do we find ourselves putting our identity in things that we have nothing to do with or things that we have done? We can fall into either, into either one of those, um, those traps. So in this passage, um, they're looking at things, actions that we can put our confidence in to be right with God. So what is it today? Obviously, this list doesn't describe it for us, but what is our list today? What would our list look like? What would our list of credentials look like? And I, as I think about it for me, um, I think about confidence or what do I put my identity in? Because um, our confidence really comes out of our identity. And if it's placed in something other than God, as that thing crumbles, so does our confidence. So what is it that we're tempted um, to put confidence in? And it can be anything from, and again, here's the list of things we don't have anything to do with. What about talents, personalities, character traits, how we look, our family, our social status? Are those things that people can put confidence in today? Then here's things that we do have more to do with. What church we're a part of, who our friends are, the things that we've done, our work, our possessions, our reputation, our recognition. These are all things that we can end up putting confidence in outside of Christ. Here's a question for you. What do you believe about yourself that if it was challenged would make you either very angry or make you deal with fear? What is it that you believe about yourself that if it was challenged would either make you very angry or make you deal with fear. And I would just ask you to, to spend a little bit of time thinking about that. It's not readily obvious, but if you track that back, you're pretty close to what you're putting your confidence and identity in if, if that gets challenged. Um, so I just want us to think about in this first, uh, when it comes to standing firm against false teaching, where is your confidence? Where does your confidence uh, rest? All right, um, I want to go on to uh, the next passage here. And he lists all these things, and these are all the things that I've read over, and he lists these as gain, that he's got all of this going for him. But then he goes on and he says, look, whatever was, and, and in, this, in this paragraph, he's starting to talk in accounting terminology. So you've got a gain column and a loss column. And so he's saying all of this was gain, but I'm going to count it all as loss for the sake of Christ. So he flips his column and he says, look, if I can gain Christ, then all of this is lost to me. And he goes on to make some more statements. And he says, actually, he's going to count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth or how great the gain is of knowing Jesus. And he says that for his sake, he's actually suffered the loss of all things 
And furthermore, he actually counts it as rubbish, garbage, or dung that he can gain Christ. So it's not just, well, I don't really have much regard for it anymore, but it's actually, it's loss, and I count it as, as rubbish that I could gain Christ. So here's, here's his list again with what he said. He said, here's all the things that were lost, and he says, everything, I've lost all things, and I count them as rubbish. And as I, as I think about this, I want us to think about the word treasure and where, where is my treasure um, in my life and in my heart. So he goes on to talk about um, what it means, what the gain is in Christ. So he says that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, all of that stuff, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Christ, and we know this, but Christ came and he lived a perfect life. And God takes that righteousness and he sees us through that and he gives us that righteousness. And so would you want a, a list that depends on all the things that you've done and who you are or what Christ has done? And, and Paul is saying, look, everything I've done is rubbish and I gladly will, will take the gain of Christ's righteousness in me that's given to us through faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So the goal here is to know him. And I love the word for knowing him. It has the idea that it is very personal, so that you're knowing Christ in a personal way. Um, It's experiential. You're experiencing him. And it's progressive. It's growing. We're moving from one thing to, to the next. And so Christ offers us the chance to actually know Him, to be to grow in Him, and then um, to experience His resurrection power. Um, maybe we want to skip over the uh, the last part of verse ten to share in His sufferings, become like Him in His death. And He's obviously not talking about sharing in His sufferings on the cross, but anything that we suffer for the sake of Christ. If you think about the New Testament, how often it talks about believers will suffer for Christ. And we're called to do that. Um, and then to be conformed like him in his death, become like him. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So here's Paul telling us how he's thinking. And he's saying, it literally, it does not matter what the cost is. I want this gain so much that I'm willing to, to give up and to suffer the loss. Although when you compare the two, it's not loss. Um, because to attain the resurrection from the dead, um, and just thinking back on, uh, on what the church has been through, isn't it amazing that we can know um, when Saloma passes away or when we pass away that we are right with God and that we will attain the resurrection of the dead to be raised in power um, and to know him. So Paul's saying, whatever, whatever it takes, I want, uh, that is what I want. So I just want to put this up here on, the, on our uh, gain and loss. So over here is what, he, what it cost him. But under the gain column, it's knowing Christ. It's being found in him, um, being found to have his character, his righteousness. It's the righteousness from God. It's knowing the power of the resurrection. It's sharing his suffering, becoming like him in his death, attaining the resurrection. And so that's what, um, that's what God offers us. So in, as we look at um, the question so far, where is our confidence and where is our treasure? Does our balance sheet, if you want to call it that, look that way. That's the language that Paul uses. 
All right, I want to go on to the, to the next paragraph. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So he's saying that obviously he's already been, he's in right standing with God. He's received that, but he doesn't, he's not viewing himself as perfect or totally mature and he's pressing on. And the word for pressing on, it just literally means to chase after something. And it actually is the same word as persecuting where where you're just not letting, you're not going to let something go. That you're that is what's in your target. So saying, not that I've already obtained this, but I'm pressing on and I want to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So so Jesus has already made Paul and us his own, and we're we're called to put our whole life into pursuing after Jesus and living that out and, and fleshing that out in our life. Um, it reminds me of the verse earlier in Philippians that talks about working out your own salvation because it's God that's working in you. And so scripture is full of these where you work out what God is working is working in you. That's verse 12, uh, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is telling us his attitude and his mindset. Um, and again, I would find it interesting just to, to talk about why are Christians called to forget what lies behind? Why are we called to, to forget that and to focus uh, what lies ahead? So I don't think it means that we don't deal with the past, um, but... Are, can we change anything about the past? We literally are, we can learn from it, but we are powerless to reach back and change the past. And so I think that God wants us to give him the past and allow him to deal with it. And then our effort is straining forward uh, to the prize of where God is calling us to go. So um, our focus should be, should be forward. Direction is important. And progress is important. So we are called to press on. So Paul's telling us his attitude. And um, I find the next verses um, interesting and very clear. So it's not just Paul. He says, let us, let those of us who are mature think this way. So obviously I, I know all of us want to be mature. And he's saying, if you're mature, this is how you're going to think. And he goes on and he says, and if you, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I find that very comforting that, that God is saying, if this, if this is not the way you think, I'm going to show you where you're not thinking this way. Um, and so let's, let's be open to that and let's ask God to do that um, for us. So everyone should think that way. And then he goes on and he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. And so in, in a church, people are at all different spots in, in our journey with the Lord. But God is saying, wherever you have, wherever I've brought you, we are, we are to hold fast to that and to not move backwards, to not, to not slide back, but to obey uh, what God has revealed to us. Um, I have many memories of dad referencing Oswald Chambers, who talks about walking in the light obeying what you know, and then God shows you more. And so each of us are called to hold true 
to what we have attained. So um, our progress um, is important. So just thinking about this, um, the word that I have for this paragraph is our focus. Where is our focus? God has showed us what Paul's focus is and asked us to have the same. Is there something from your past that God would like you to leave behind and not focus on as much as you are presently? Are the things that God is asking you to let behind? And what do you need to do to strain forward and to keep your eyes ahead on what Christ is doing and on the prize? So the word in that paragraph is focus. All right, um, the last paragraph. Brothers, join in intimidation in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul's just said, this is my attitude. Everybody should have it. And then he says, join in, in, in imitating me. And furthermore, if you see anybody who's walking this way, put your eyes on them and follow that person because you have an example um, to follow. And when we read statements like this, does it make anybody else uncomfortable of would you have the, or how would you feel if you would tell somebody else, you know what, imitate me in this? I think it would, that actually intimidates all of us probably. And I want to encourage us that as disciples of Christ, God calls all disciples to disciple other people. At whatever stage we're at, that is expected in the Christian life, we are to disciple others. Um, Francis Chan talks about it that as a disciple, we are to reproduce ourselves. And so um, let's not shy away from walking with the Lord and sharing with others that, you know what, um, this is what God has done, and, it, and I would love to walk with you in this. So Paul's saying, imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk, according to the example. Then he goes on, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So Paul's just said what his mindset is, and he's, he's literally crying as he's writing this, saying, please follow me as I follow Christ. Don't get sucked into this, um, where people have their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So just thinking back over the whole passage, you've got people who are putting their confidence in a list of things they can do. And Paul's saying, don't fall for that. Actually put your hope in heaven. There's a savior that is coming who is going to put everything under his power. So do you want what you can accomplish or do you want what an eternal, almighty king can accomplish when he comes back and transforms us um, to be like him? And then the very last sentence in this paragraph, which is uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So I think what Paul is doing in this whole passage is saying, Look out for this and stand firm. And then the verses in the middle are just the meat of telling us how, how we stand firm. 
So the word I want to think about uh, for, this, um, for this paragraph is the word pattern or example. And it, it's a challenge to me to, where Paul says, keep your eyes, fix your eyes on and watch for people who are living this way um, and learn from them. So choose your examples of who you follow carefully. And I just, one of the things that I will say um, about this in the last year or two, um, I don't know all of the reasons why, things that I've went through, things, weaknesses I'm seeing in myself, life situations, I've been more aware of the need for input from others. And the, the verses of you know, finding people who are walking this way and learning from them have been huge. There's so many people here who have influenced my life. Um, meeting every week with Dave and Nate to talk about the church and where we're at personally has influenced my life in really good ways. Um, but one of the thing, a couple of things that I've done this year that have been very beneficial is reaching out for a mentor that's not from the area and just processing things that I'm thinking and why am I feeling this way and what can I learn? And it's amazing what God has done in my life through doing that. Um, when it comes to work, um, I sought out a, a gentleman who's in his 70s. I didn't know him before. Um, walks with the Lord and has been incredibly impactful and a blessing to me over the last six months. Um, there's guys here at church who I talk to regularly how things are going. And it is all because of this of, I think we need to be very intentional about opening up what's going on in our heart and then receiving input from other people that we know that are walking this way. And when other people who are walking this way share in our heart, um, it changes us. And I've, I've just found it to be very rich. So I just want to encourage you today to find people who are walking this way and intentionally seek them out and just say, hey, you know, even for a period of time, can I talk regularly with you? Um, God does bring believers together to, to help us grow. All right. Um, so that was a quick overview of this passage, and I recognize that we could have, we skimmed across phrases we could have spent all morning in, but um, when it comes to standing firm, I want you to consider four questions this morning. Where is your confidence? What is it that you point to as, as proof in your life? What is your treasure? What is it that is gained to you, and you're willing to lose everything else to gain this? Where is your treasure? What is your focus? What is your attitude um, where you're looking? And who are your examples? So confidence, treasure, focus, and examples. All right. Thank you for listening. Um, I would like you just to stand, and uh, I will close with a word of prayer. And, and again, I know we covered a lot of ground. I, I would encourage you, just pick one of these paragraphs or one of these words and spend some time there this week um, asking God about that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks for who you are. Um, God, thank you that you are all-powerful, and uh, God, that you began a good work in each of us, and God, that you will bring it to completion. Lord, we recognize that there is all kinds of, um, whether it's things in our own heart or teachings or things in culture, there's all kinds of things that pull us uh, away from you. And God, I pray that you would help us um, to grow um, in you, to grow straight, to grow true according to your word. Um, 
Lord, I pray for each of us in each of these, uh, each of these areas that your word identifies. Um, God, would you speak to us this week, even if it's just in one of these areas, and um, could we grow up in you, um, and would you receive glory for what, uh, what you do in our hearts? Um, God, would you protect us? Would you go with us? I again ask for a special measure of your grace and your comfort for um, family with Saloma's passing. Um, God, thank you for the hope in Christ uh, that we know um, where she is and we can, can look forward to the resurrection of the dead. Uh, may we walk in that power this week, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.